The following shear has been presented by Dayan Shlomo Cohen. Dayan, based in Havat Shalom, Yerushalayim, an author of the Chayshin Mishpat work Pure Money, and has been brought to you by the Beis Havat Halacha Center. Baba Kama, Daf Ayin Vav. We see from Adaf that if a Ganav was to steal and then give over to Hektish, then make Hektish what he stole, it's considered as if there's been a Shinu Rishut. Unless it's only Kodshim Kalim, which still belongs to its owner. But with Kodshim Kodshim, making it Hektish is considered a Shinu Rishut, a change of domain. How does this Shinu Rishut occur? Do you have to actually give it over physically to Hektish? Or not? In order to make something Hektish, we learn from the Posuk, Kol Nadiv Leiv Olot, that it depends on your heart. Not only on your thought. That once you make a positive decision to make something hegdish, that already causes a transfer of ownership from its current owner to that of hegdish. It's now in the reshut of hegdish. Even though normally to make a transfer of ownership, an act of acquisition, a positive action of a kinyan is needed, with hegdish, either with machshova, either with a thought, or with dibur, by just saying, a transfer of ownership is completed. The question is, how does it work in our times, when we don't have hegdish, but we have tzedakah? When someone decides the machshova in their mind, or they say that they're going to make, they're going to give something over to tzedakah, they're going to give a sum over to tzedakah, or give, or give property over to tzedakah, does our tzedakah work in the same way as hektish works? That just by thought, or by saying, there's already a transfer of ownership. Or do we say, or no, a Kenyan is needed to transfer to, to, the, to, to tzedakah. Let's say if you decide, someone decided to give a thousand dollars to a particular yeshiva. Can he now be forced by Beidin to give it over? Do we say that that thousand dollars now belongs to the tzedakah that he promised it to? Or is, is there a difference between tzedakah and hektish? The Shulchan Aruch in, in Hoshim Mishpat Simon Reish Yudbet, Sif Chet, brings two opinions with, with regard to tzedakah in our times. The first opinion is that machshova alone, just a thought alone, must be honored by the person who decided to give something over to tzedakah. The second opinion is that only if he says that he wants to give it over to tzedakah, is he forced to honor what he said? If not, no. In explaining the second opinion, the Shulchan Aruch elaborates to explain that all tzedakah in our times is not like hektish at all. And the reason why, if you said that you're going to give to tzedakah, you must honor what you said, is because what you said becomes a vow, a nether. And a nether baked in will force its maker to keep the nether that he made. The Guru over there in, in Sif Kotun Chaf Gimel explains that Behmet, according to both opinions in the Shulchan Aruch, the only obligation today is because of a nether, is because of a vow. The argument, he says, between the two opinions is whether a vow to tzedakah, is with a vow to tzedakah, is thought enough to make a vow, or do you need to have an action of speaking, of saying it out, for there to be considered, for there to be considered a vow, a nether, to tzedakah? But to actually transfer ownership to tzedakah, you need an actual kinyan, a positive action, 
to transfer the ownership of the property or whatever you promised. There are more, Paskans like the first opinion over there, that thought alone makes a vow with Tzedakah, and Beidim will force the maker of the vow to keep his vow. But it doesn't belong to Hektish. It doesn't, sorry, it doesn't belong to Tzedakah. Also, there's another Ramur in Yeridea, but Simon Reishin and Chet, Sifud Gimel, very Paskans clearly also, that even by thought alone, and we're talking about a positive thought here, not just toying with the idea, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't do it, but a definite positive decision <coughs> that you want to give over to Tzedakah becomes a vow, and it must be honoured. And Beidin will force the maker of the vow to keep his vow. So the whole we see that Tzedakah in our times is not like Hegdish, where thought causes a transfer of ownership. But nevertheless, even though there is no transfer of ownership, the owner of the property is obligated to keep his thoughts, as they have the force of a vow, even though he said nothing. There was a case of a very wealthy man who told his wife repeatedly that after his death, he wants to give over half of his property, half of his, his estate, to the poor of Eretz Israel. After he died, his wife told the children of their father's wish. But they didn't really like the idea too much. <coughs> and they claimed that they would happily write a Sefer Torah in his name. And they're going to give some money to Tzedakah. But giving away half of the estate, that's much too much. Out of the question. So the question that arises here is, if we say that just as the father could have been forced by Beidin to give over what he vowed, as here there was more than just thought, he even said his intentions over. Therefore, according to all opinions, he certainly made a vow, a nether. But the question is, do we obligate the children, the grown-up children, to keep the vow of their father? If the father had written a will, a halakhically valid will, then there'd be no question. But here no will was written. If there'd been some sort of transfer of ownership, there'd be no question. But here there was just a nether, a vow of the father. Are the children obligated, can they be forced to keep the, ne the, the nether of their father? The Ramor has a tshuva, the Piske tshuva brings it in Sifkost and Tet over there, about this question. He says that the Beit Yosef also has a tshuva on the same subject, where he paskins that the children do have an obligation to keep the vow of their father. However, he, there are more, argues with the Beit Yosef and claims that a nether is an obligation on the person who made the nether and not on anyone else. Therefore, since there was no actual transfer of ownership in the father's lifetime, the children have no obligation, they can't be forced to keep the vow of their father. But why did the Beit Yosef claim that they do have an obligation to keep the vow of their father? It would seem that the Ramu is right. A vow obligates the maker of the vow. How can it obligate someone else? The Ketzorot in Simon Reish Zayin, Sifkot and Beit, wants to explain the Beit Yosef. He says that the Beit Yosef holds that a vow creates a lien, a shibud, on the property of the person who makes the vow. And it's just as if he'd taken a loan. And therefore, the debt must be paid from his property. 
If he'd left no property, says the Ketzod, then there would be no obligation. Because it is, it is not, there's, there's a lien on nothing. But where he did leave property, there's a lien on his property, there's a shibud on his property, and the debt to charity must be paid. The Sma, however, in Reish Yud Beit, Sifkot and Yud Tet, explains the opinion of the Beit Yosef differently. Lemaisi, if you see the Beit Yosef in that simon, he says clearly that, a ch- that children do not have an obligation to keep the vow of their father. So why did he paskin in his truvot that he does have an that the children do have an obligation to keep the vow of their fathers? Says the Sma, see if you look at the case, says the Sma, the case over there was a case where the father made his vow, made his nether while he was on his deathbed, and the children were present at the time that he made the nether. And therefore, they, and, they, and they didn't protest at the time to the nether, therefore, says the Beit Yosef, it's as, it's as if they made a vow. It becomes their vow. It becomes their nether to Tzedakah. And that's the reason why the Beit Yosef Paskin that the nether must be kept by the children. But if the father alone had made the nether, like in our case, then he also agrees that the children can't be forced to keep the nether of their father. Therefore, in our case, according to all opinions, both the Beit Yosef and, and the Omor, the children cannot be forced to keep the nether of their father. However, we must make this clear. Here we're discussing whether the children can be forced by Beitin to keep the vow of their father. And we're saying that they can't be forced. But certainly, it's very it's fitting for them to carry out the wishes of their father. The Kanhag, the Knesset Agadola says, that even though they can't be forced to keep the, 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 the nether of their father, it's a mitzvah for them to do so, as they know that that was his wish. Rabbi Kiva Ege goes further and says that it's part of the mitzvah of Kibbut Avaim, of respecting your parents, to carry out their wishes, even after their death, in any case where you know clearly what their intentions were, even though halachically they can't be forced to do so. From here we see that so too a father who made a will that's not halachically valid for some reason, that nevertheless the children should honour the will if they're sure that that was his intention. Because here we can see his intention, even though the will may not be halachically valid. It's sad to see sometimes in in children challenging the wills of their parents on a technicality and disinheriting a sister or another beneficiary when it's really clear that the wishes of the deceased won't be kept. The children of the mice are missing their last opportunity probably to be Mekai in the midst of Kibbut Avayim. The Daf Yomi Halacha series has been brought to you by the Beis Havad Halacha Center. To reach the Center for Halacha Consultation, Service, Educational Seminars or Media, please call 1-888-485-VAAD. That's 1-888-485-8223. To sign up to the BHHJ, the Base Havad's Weekly Interactive E-Journal, please visit www.bhhj.org or you can email us at office at the